I'll be reading from um, the book of Amos, chapter 7. <clears throat> this is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's chariot had been harvested, and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep um, and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built through to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is rising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there, and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy any more at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord, you say. Do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Well, good morning again, Shore Church. It's, uh, it's great to be with you once again. Thanks for having me. Um, before we get into our text... This morning, uh, just a couple things that I want to get out of the way. This doesn't count for my time. I'll try to do this really quickly. First of all, I've been asked to speak in a, a variety of different places over the last few months, and I've always been invited into various series that churches are going through. I've gone into, I've gone into uh, Proverbs series, Luke series, uh, Revelation series. I've been a part of your series, and I. I knew I was to speak again here, and I was excited to do it. James sent me a text again just to remind me and said, you're in chapter 7, and I was fired up to, to get into chapter 7. So on Monday, I got up early, as I normally do, and I started to prepare, our, prepare the message for our time together, and I, I was loving it. I, I spent a, a few hours in it. It was rich. It was great. I was excited about the sermon. I was going to, you were so fortunate to have me is what I thought. That's how good things are going. And I went away just for a little bit just to get something to drink and came back. And when I looked at my open Bible and noticed what I'd been studying, I, 
I thought, I don't think this is quite right. And so I went back to the calendar and discovered that I had been studying for about three or four hours that morning Hosea chapter 7 instead of Amos chapter 7. And so here's the good news. If you do a Hosea series one day and you get to chapter 7, I'm your guy. Just kind of call me up because I've got the beginning stages of a message in, in Hosea. But we're in Amos chapter 7 today. And, and again, before we look at that, just one other thing. I listened to last week's message on chapter 5 and chapter, chapter 6 and saw that David Bonney spoke last week. David Bonney, obviously you know David Bonney. He's the, the dad of James Bonney. Great message, but the whole time all I thought about when I was listening to the message is how great would that be? How great would it be to be invited to speak in, in the church that your son pastors and to kind of work your way into it? That's all I thought. I would love that one day. I don't think my kids are going to be pastors. I don't know. Who knows what the next few years look like? But if I was ever invited to come and speak in my son's church that he gives leadership to, boy, I, was, I would be fired up. And so that's all I thought about. I missed most of the message. That's all I thought about was... How great is this that David's doing it and James has him in? And, and uh, I just think that's, that's awesome. Enough of that. Amos chapter 7, not Hosea chapter 7. Amos chapter 7. And what I want to do as we pick things up is I actually want to double back and remind you of when I was here last and talked through, spoke through Amos chapter 3. Specifically, I want to remind you how I ended things then because that's where I want to pick things up this morning. So to remind you, when we went through Amos 3, I ended off by taking you to, to Jesus and specifically looking at Jesus talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. <clears throat> and how I ended things off when we looked at we looked at that, was Jesus saying specifically about John the Baptist that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's how we ended things off then. But a greater what? Well, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he's a, we are the least in the kingdom of God is a greater prophet. The least in the kingdom of heaven is a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Why? Because we have a greater message. If you remember from weeks ago, we have a greater message because we've seen the cross. John never saw the cross. We've seen the cross and the resurrection. We've seen the ascension. We've seen the coronation. We have that message and, and that word, and it's greater. And, and here's the important thing as we go into chapter 7 today, we have been called to share that message. We've been given a word from God to share, which makes us all prophets, as it were. And that's Jesus' point. We are all prophets, and we are better prophets than John. We are better prophets than Amos, not because we're in some way greater than them, but because the message we've been given is. Uh, the author of Hebrews, and you can read this text on the screen, speaks to this when he writes at the very beginning of that great letter, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, meaning the days between the ascension of Jesus and his return, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And we've all been commissioned by the Son to proclaim the message of the Son. 
and therefore we're all prophets in that way. Now, I, I want to be very clear because I think there is confusion in the church today, and so before going further, I want to be very clear about something. I'm not saying that we're all prophets in the exact same way as individuals like John and Amos. I don't believe that we are. They had a, a very unique office given to them by God that doesn't exist today. And nor am I saying that <clears throat> that we all have the gift of prophecy, as Paul makes very clear in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But what I am saying is that we, we've all been given a word from God about the Son and empowered by the Spirit to proclaim it while living among a people and at a time that God has specifically placed us in. And therefore, in that sense, we are all prophets of God. Uh, while quoting from the book of Joel on the day of Pentecost, Peter states this in Acts chapter 2, and again, you can read this on the screen. In the last days, that's interesting, in the last days, same way that, that the book of Hebrews starts, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Jesus speaks to this. Earlier, in fact, in the same, in the same book, the book of Acts chapter 1, saying in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, my spokespeople in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, if, if that is true of us, and I believe it is, then here is my goal for today. <clears throat> if we can agree that we are all prophets in that sense, then what can we learn from the prophet Amos coming out of chapter 7 that can help us? What, what, is, what, is, what are those things that we see in his life, specifically coming out of chapter 7, that we would be well served to apply to ours? That's my goal for today. And so if you like taking notes, I'm going to have you notice several, several things, several what I'll call calls, several calls that we see on on the life of Amos, the person of Amos, that need to be true, true of us as well. I'll have you notice first, the prophet's call to pray. That's number one, again, if you like taking notes. A prophet's call to pray, and that takes us to our text. I want you to notice a couple of things in the first number of verses in chapter 7. First off, in verse 1, Amos is given a vision, uh, a word from God. But it's a, a vision from God depicted in very sobering images. Let, let me read the verse for you. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. Just, just stop there. This, this is a sobering image. If you understand what's being depicted in it, in it, Amos sees the judgment of God coming on the people, in this case, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, like a plague of locusts on a harvest, and it's going to devour everything. 
the, the result is utter, utter devastation. That's the, first, that's the first vision. And then if you drop down to verse 4, <clears throat> Amos is given a, a second vision where this time the judgment of God is depicted as a fire so intense it dries up the sea and it devours the the land. Just notice what it says. I'll read it for you. This is what the Lord God showed me. So here's the second vision. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Horrific depictions. Locusts and fire devouring everything. Those are the two images. You can, you can see why it, not many people wanted to be a prophet, right? Wasn't on people's top 10 list. Here's the message from God that we want you to share with, with the people. Judgment, judgment, devouring, eating everything up. But that's the word that Amos received because the people, and let's just be reminded, because the people in their affluence took advantage of the poor and bred injustice and, and forgot the Lord and, and bowed down to idols and encouraged others to do the same in spite, of, in spite of God being so good to them and, and leading them and, and providing for them, freeing them from bondage, in spite of all of the goodness of God and the constant reminder by way of God's spokespeople, to return to him. They didn't. And they ignored the word again and again to do so, and horrifying judgment was coming upon them. And it looked like locusts, and it looked like fire. Those are the two images Amos receives. And so what does Amos the prophet do in response? Well, he prays. That's what he does first. He intercedes on the people's behalf. He, he receives the word, and before doing anything else, he appeals to God. Just notice verse 2. It begins, when they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob, that's Israel, how can Jacob stand? He is so small. There's prayer, there's prayer number one. There's intercession number one, but just drop down and notice verse five after the second vision. Then I said, oh Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. That's what he does first. He, he appeals. Please forgive. God, please forgive. Please cease. And what does God do? He relents in both cases. Verse 3, the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. In verse 5, the Lord relented concerning this. This also, also shall not be, said the Lord God. Hmm. A word is given and, and prayer happens immediately thereafter. Going back to the book of Acts, I think we see a New Testament picture of this. 
early on, if you, if you know and have read, studied the book of Acts on your own, that one of the early situations in the New Testament church arose where, where Greek widows, Greek widows, excuse me, Greek widows were being neglected in the distribution of food. And so the apostles, they raise up a group to oversee this ministry area, saying in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, this isn't on the screen, you can look it up on your own, the apostles raise up this group, Stephen amongst them, but seven individuals, and they say, you do that and we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer and the word. Now, the reason why I take you to this text, and, and you've probably studied it, like I said, on your own or had other people walk through it with you. Oftentimes, teachers and preachers will take you to the text, this text, to focus on things like perhaps the start of deacon ministry and, and those types of things. But the reason why I'm taking you here is to have you see the hand-in-glove relationship between the ministry of the Word and prayer. You can't have one without the other. We aren't to be proclaimers of the word only, but intercessors for the people too. Our, our hearts should break for the people that, that we see around us, those that we know and those that we don't know. And, and we do know the word. God has given us very clear insight on, on what the future brings. But does that cause you to pray? Please, God. Please, God. Cease, God. This, this is the, the prophet's role. This is our role to tell people about God and tell God about people. We, we are to follow the example of Abraham who interceded on behalf of Sodom, saying, Lord, suppose ten are found there. Will you sweep away the righteous? with the wicked, and Moses, too, who interceded on the people's behalf in the aftermath of the sin of the golden calf, saying to God, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. We are to follow the example of Jesus, who while on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if you are a Christian today, that prayer has been answered in your life. God, relent. Draw them to yourself. By the way, and this is something that, that I've been meditating on this week in light, in light of this first point, this first call that we see fleshing out in Amos' life, as I mentioned, the, the two visions Amos receives are horrifying. They're horrifying images. But, but could it be, and this is what I've been thinking, thinking on, and I encourage you to do the same, could it be that God gives us visions and dreams and insight from his written word as well? And sometimes those images and, and dreams and Things that we study in the Word can be very sobering, very sobering. But could it be that He gives us those things for the express purpose of moving us to pray as much as anything else? That we just need to pray, and our hearts need to break. To pray what? To pray that God would relent, 
certainly, but tied to that, that God would grant repentance, that he would grant repentance to people, that they would be moved to repent. Because here's the fact about our God. Our God always relents when people repent. Absolute change. That we, that we pray that hearts that are hard against him would turn to him. And so there is a prophet's call to prayer. But second, there's a prophet's call to silence. Amos is, is given a, a third vision, which is contained in verses 7 to 9. Let me read these verses again for us. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made des desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will raise... I will rise, excuse me, against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. This is the third vision. Uh, it, if you're a fan of precept ministries, like I know some of you, some of you are, I know many of you in, at the shore study have done Bible studies provided by precept ministries, you'll know that the logo of precept is a plumb line. This is where the image comes from. Uh, the depiction of a plumb line, in fact, just the word plumb line, only comes up a couple of times in the Bible. This is where it comes up most, centered here in Amos chapter 7, this vision of a plumb line. Now, before unpacking what this third vision, this plumb line vision means, I want you to notice first what's not here. What's different about this vision compared to the first two? Well, the answer is there's, there's no response from Amos. Vision number one, immediately he prays. Vision number two, immediately he prays. Vision number three, silence. God speaks a third time and Amos says nothing. This too is a prophet's call. There are times when God speaks and our call is to simply keep our mouths shut. Why? Why doesn't, why doesn't Amos say anything? Well, the answer is because all there, although there will be times where God relents and holds back his judgment, there will eventually be a time where he will measure all things with a plumb line, and we will either stand or fall by way of that measurement. That's why. What is a plumb line? Well, if you don't know what a plumb line is, and, and I, I kind of knew, so I had to do a little research to make sure that I understood fully. A, a plumb line was just a string with a weighted uh, a weight attached to it, and, and when you held it up against a wall, it would tell you on whether that wall was vertical or not, whether the wall was crooked, as it were, or not. I was actually watching the DIY show just a couple of nights ago, Leave It to Brian. We all like Brian. 
And he was in a, he was in a kitchen and he's renewing a kitchen and the, the owners of the, of the house come and they start talking about what Brian had done all day. And he tells them, he talks about how that day he made sure as he was renewing it, making sure, made sure that everything was level, square, and plumb. And I thought, Mike, perfect. So Brian's affirming what I'm talking about. See, what this third vision depicts is that Israel was shown to be way off vertical. They were crooked. And when the plumb line of God's righteousness was measured against it, it was obvious. And there was nothing Amos could say in response. See, here's the reality. God may relent in the moment, and he does. As Peter writes, God is patient, not, not wanting anyone to perish. But eventually, justice will be served, and it must. And here is the thing, it will be fair, like a plumb line. And in that moment, every mouth will be shut. I have heard people in their folly, in their and their arrogance talk about how at the end of the day, they're going to walk up to God and, and God's going to have to answer some questions. Got something to say to God. No, you won't. You will see clearly. And your mouth will be shut. Paul speaks to this, in fact, when writing in, in Romans 3.19. And again, you can read this on the screen. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Why? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Every mouth stopped because what can you say when you're being measured perfectly and justly and rightly with the straight edge of God's holiness? That's why. So what have we seen thus far? What, what can we learn from Amos to help us in our lives as prophets? Well, there's a prophet's call to pray, and there's a prophet's call to silence, but there's a third call that we see in Amos's life, and that is a prophet's call to prophesy. Just take a look at verses 10 to 17, which are the last verses of our, of our chapter. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of all of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Just remember what we read coming out of verse 9, that the house of Jeroboam will, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Thus, for thus, Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah, that was where Amos was from, and eat bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for, if, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. 
Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Whew! He spoke. And not just, not just anything. Just, just notice the progression. Don't, don't miss it. Amos prayed first. He, he meditated too. And then he spoke. And I don't know if you picked it up, his background was not used as an excuse not to. The the Lord had given Amos a word to speak, and although he had formerly been a a shepherd and a a harvester of figs, which I I discovered this week was uh, food for the poor, he didn't allow that humble beginning to keep him from speaking. Add on top of that the specific type of message that Amos was told to speak and consider who he was speaking to. And this task was huge. It was huge. And yet he proved faithful. In in the book of 1 Kings chapter 12 specifically, we read there how Jeroboam, the king that is mentioned here, the king of Israel had defiled the priesthood by, by not, not only gathering priests who weren't part of the tribe of, the, of, of Levi, where they needed to come from, but also who would only speak words of, of success and, and peace and, and blessings and so forth and speak nothing about sin and disobedience and judgment. To use New Testament language, he gathered around him those who would only tickle their ears. Amaziah, the priest that we read of here, he represents that defiled priesthood. And when he heard of the vision Amos receives, he tells him to leave and go back to his land of Judah. Amos, prophesy there. Go eat there. Hang out with your own people. Bring that message here. We don't want to hear it here. But notice one more time what Amos says in verses 15 in the first part of verse 16. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I'm a fan of Amos. God God called me. Amaziah, God called me. I used to hang out with sheep, harvest figs, but God called me out of that. And he not only called me, he commanded me. And he commanded me specifically to share. My commands come from him. Amaziah, they don't come from you, and they don't come from even the king. They come from God himself. And if my God tells me to speak, I'm going to speak. Again, we see a, a a New Testament illustration of of this as well, this time going back to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 4. And 
And you probably know the story. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested for telling people about Jesus. And they were taken before the religious council at the time, the Sanhedrin. Sound familiar? Just replaced the, the names Amaziah and Jeroboam with Annas and, and, and uh, Caiaphas. And what do, they say, what do they say to Peter and John? They warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, meaning the name of Jesus, nor speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Be quiet. We don't want to hear it anymore. Notice how they respond. Again, you can read this on the screen, Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It's exactly what Amos said. Paul talks about being constrained to preach. It's not just something I'm committed to, it's something I have to do because God told me to speak. He called me out of that to this. Amos is saying the same thing. Peter and John are saying the same thing. And sure, church, we must say the same thing too. Because we've been commissioned. We've been called. We've been given a word. We've been empowered to speak the word. And our world is full of people who need to hear the message. I mean, the application coming out of Amos 7 and places like Acts chapter 4 is so crystal clear. Christians are called to live in peace and understand that God places leaders over us, bosses, government officials, parents, and, and so on. But there will be times in our lives where we must defy what man tells us and be obedient to Jesus' clear call on our lives. And one of his clear calls, again, is to go into all the world and be his witnesses and teach all to observe everything he commanded. This is a church-wide commission. And, and we can't allow our current situation, however humble it may be, or the intimidation of the audience, or the sometime sobering content of the message to, to stop us from sharing what Jesus has called us to share. And the reason why is because there is not only a prophet's call to pray and a prophet's call to silence, there's also a prophet's call to prophesy. And all need to be in our lives. We're to follow the model. We are to follow the example of, of Amos and so many others. And so there you go. As I look at Amos chapter 7 and I consider our lives, our calls, there is a prophet's call to pray, a prophet's call to silence, and a prophet's call to prophesy. But as I make a turn for home, there is one final call that I see out of Amos 7 that I want to point out. That being the people's call to listen. Let me read verses 16 and 17 one more time. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Sure, church, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. Do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. 
And your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. It sounds horrific. It is horrific. But it could have been avoided if they just listened if they were quicker to hear and slower to speak, if they weren't merely hearers of the word but doers too, it could have been avoided. But here's the thing. Going back to when I was here uh, a few weeks ago, like chapter 3, that's how chapter 7 ends. Just like that. This horrifying third vision, this, this certain vision, that's how it ends. But, but it doesn't have to end that way for us. And, and so let me once again wrap things up by going 750 years forward and back to Jesus and specifically Matthew 23, uh, a text that records for us um, the last entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem in the lead-up. This is referred to as the Passion Week and lead up to the cross on, on Friday and His resurrection thereafter. But He enters the, the city for this final time, and this is what He says in Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Hear tenderness, by the way, when He speaks that way. It's like, O Martha, Martha. Um, it's tender. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. The city that kills the prophets. There are a lot of ways you can kill a prophet. A lot of ways. You can kill them, in a sense, like Amaziah was trying to kill Amos, just by sending them away, and in that way they're just dead to you if you don't have to listen to them. They're dead, in a sense. But you can also kill them literally, as many of them were, by stoning. Uh, John the Baptist was beheaded. Or by crucifixion, like Jesus, a, a horrific death. But it was in his crucifixion and his resurrection thereafter that good news once again invades the book of Amos. You see, as I said a number of weeks ago, a Amos 7, although as true today as it was then, and it is, isn't the end of the story. God in his, his patience relents but a time is coming where he will measure us all against the plumb line like justice that he has. And left, left to our own, none of us will prove level, square, and plumb. But here's the good news we aren't left to our own, or at least we don't have to be, because Jesus, here's what Jesus does. Jesus enters the silence that comes right after the third vision. 
Jesus enters the silence and he says, I can fix your crookedness and make you straight again. And he does that by taking us under his wings. Like a hen with her brood. I came across an article in National Geographic. Uh, It recorded this um, several years ago. I'll just read it for you. After a forest fire in Yellowstone National Park in 1989, forest rangers began their trek up a mountain to assess the inferno's damage. One ranger found a bird. I've read this thing 20 times this week and I'm getting choked up. One ranger found a bird literally petrified in ashes, perched statuesquely on the ground at the base of a tree. Somewhat sickened by the sight, the eerie sight, he knocked over the bird with a stick. When he struck it, three tiny chicks scurried from under their dead mother's wings. The loving mother, keenly aware of impending disaster, had carried her offspring to the base of the tree and had gathered them under her wings instinctively knowing that the toxic smoke would rise. She could have flown to safety, but had refused to, had refused to abandon her babies. When the blaze had arrived and the heat had scorched her small body, the mother had remained steadfast. She had been willing to die, so those under the cover of her wings could live. Short church, Jesus is that mother bird who, who took the fire of, of judgment that, that dries up the sea and devours the land. He took that for us. He took us, he took it, took it and he covered us with his wings so that one day we too would scurry out when we see him face to face and jump into his arms again. What a Savior. What a Savior who enters and covers and takes. What a Savior. And that's the sweetness the sweetness of the story that invades Amos 7 and can invade our lives too. Let me pray. And so as we pray, and as your heads are bowed, hopefully, and your eyes are closed, just a couple of questions that I want you to think about upon reflection. First, are the calls of Amos marking your life too? Are you praying, specifically interceding for those who don't know Jesus? Are you listening? Are you meditating and and considering the Word word of God? And are you sharing? Are you sharing the great Word of Jesus given to you, the, the beautiful Word of the Gospel? Are you 
manifesting in your life the marks that we see in, in Amos. Is perhaps you feel unqualified and that's stopping you or the intimidation of the audiences or the content of the message. Can I call you to obedience and to pray for strength? But perhaps right now you're more like Amaziah and Jeroboam, just wanting to surround yourselves with those who will only say what you want to hear. Can I, with humility and gentleness, call you to listen to the words of the Lord in Amos 7? Certain judgment is coming, and all of us will be held to account, and none of us, if left to ourselves, will prove worthy. And so I call you to come to Jesus. Crawl under his wing. And so Jesus, oh, we worship you, we, we thank you, we praise you for taking the judgment of fire in our place, being devoured for us, being dried up for us. He cried out, I thirst for us, covering us, protecting us so we could live, for entering the silence in our place. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you. And, and Jesus, who is worthy for such a task to be your witnesses? None of us are. But you make us worthy. By way of your work, you make us worthy. In your grace, you make us worthy. And you don't only call us to be your witnesses, you empower us to be your witness, witnesses. And you give us a message that is the very power of God. For, again, left to our own, we can't do any of this. So help us. By way of the Spirit you, you sent, help us and forgive us for the times where we keep our mouths shut wrongly wrongly when we should speak and we don't. Help us. Give us courage. In, increase our strength and our passion. And we do in this, we would be amiss not to pray for our city, our friends, our family that don't know you. We thank you, Father, for your patience so that more could come to you. But we pray for them. We pray that you would turn their hearts towards you, that you would grant them repentance, that they would see their folly and come to you from lost to found. So we lift them up. In Jesus' name, we lift them up. And we pray for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.